Well, good morning. Uh, delight to be here. <coughs> I'm in a, a bit raspy voice this morning. That combined with an English accent, but I got the main things on the screen. So, you'll be with me. And uh, I'm sorry Jane's not with me today. She will be here Wednesday and next week. But, uh, well, one of the challenges for Jane is early mornings. When the clock's change, we all, she only had to walk across the parking lot to the Boulevard Bible Chapel and she said you know I've only heard you preach for the last so many weeks so I'm going to pop over to the Boulevard Bible Chapel and I said that's fine and I walked in the door this morning and this dear sister said where's your wife she should be with you (laughs) but she's okay and uh, we praise the Lord for his goodness it hardly seems possible a year has slipped by. I don't know why I always come in the winter. It's a strange thing. <laughs> but there is still snow in Hamilton, Ontario, where I come from. And uh, I have noticed over the years, you never seem to get snow in February and March. <laughs> so we're glad to be here. And what we're going to do, i got uh, three talks. And I'm going to talk about... John 21 today, have your Bibles ready, we'll be going through that in detail. Two things the Lord does, and we'll talk about first, restored by the risen Lord, and then we're going to talk about, this is a resurrection story, we're going to talk about the ascension, the way we're represented by the ascended Lord, that's Wednesday night, in Acts 1 and other passages of course, as we talk about the ascension, resurrection, ascension, The next Sunday morning, man, we're going to talk about being ready for the returning Lord. Great story in Matthew 25. So that's where we're going, restored by the risen Lord, represented by the ascended Lord, ready for the returning Lord. We're covering resurrection, ascension, and return. The great truths at the end of the New Testament. This morning, we're going to get into this incredible example of restoration and recovery for Peter, John 21, restored by the ascended Lord. I didn't read the chapter, but you have your Bibles, you know the great story of Peter's uh, recovery. Uh, and this chapter 21 opens the, with a group of disciples, just get the picture. Now they're away from the bustle of Jerusalem, they're in Galilee, and the situation is although Jesus was alive, and they knew he was alive, the disciples were still bewildered, they were wondering what to do. This sign says it all, confused, baffled, and bewildered. The Lord had appeared to the disciples twice. But huge changes were taking place, and in the light of those huge changes, they, they were sort of wondering, what does the future hold? And in Peter's case, and he's our focus, in Peter's case, you get a man in Galilee just full of regret. I, I think for the very first time in his life, Peter, uh, Peter experienced self-doubt. Very confident man. Doubt and fear were not what was just said for Peter until this point, but now is denied the Lord, who knows? Uh, so here they are, they're in Galilee, floundering a bit. Uh, now you might wonder why they were in Galilee. Let me point out, of course, that the Lord planned it. You see, remember when the Lord predicted Peter's denial, 
in Matthew 26, he said very clearly, look, after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. So that had been predicted. In fact, when the angels spoke to the women at the tomb in Matthew 28, 7, they said, look, he's risen from the dead and he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you'll see him. So that was a firm commitment, a prophecy and a promise. They were there because the Lord planned it. Let me stop and say, we need to apply scripture all the time we're reading it the Lord always plans things. You know, the Lord is looking ahead for our blessing all the time. <clears throat> and, and the thing about the Lord, He doesn't just look one step ahead. You know, I'm thinking, what am I doing next week? What's, the Lord sees the end of our journey. You think, for example, uh, look at verse 18 and 19. He tells Peter, He tells Peter about his martyrdom. He lets Peter know that, that, look, you expressed willingness to go to prison and death for me. Well, you're going to be tested again. This time it will be for real. And and it was going to be a tough end for Peter, man. Crucified like the Lord. But it was known to the Lord. You see, the Lord plans. The Lord knows. And, And that's a tremendous comfort. You see, our omniscient Lord knows just remember that he, he, and he knew for example that away from the crowds in Jerusalem when the disciples had finally absorbed the fact that, that he really was alive that he'd be able to focus their attention on the future I mean he had to prepare them for this incredibly important job of world evangelism that he had for them and of course it was especially away in the peace of Galilee that he could give Peter the opportunity to be fully restored. Because he wanted Peter again to be the leader that would launch out into this challenging new ministry to, to actually do the job without the physical presence of the Lord. So he had to get them ready. And so let's get into this because it was, a, it was a planned event, a great opportunity. And we're going to focus on three things. We're going to talk more about this predicament of the disciples as they were bewildered in Galilee. But in particular, I want you to learn this morning the provision the Lord makes. Wonderful provision. And then at the end of the talk, I've got to challenge you because... The Lord needs a personal response from all of us. So we're going to talk about the predicament of the disciples, the provision the Lord makes, and that great personal response the Lord wants. So let's get back to Galilee and think about it. In Galilee, these disciples, as I said, they're asking themselves, what now? And there's Peter haunted by the memory of Christ's look. He, he must have kept thinking back to the way the Lord looked at him when he denied the Lord. And the others who normally actually looked to Peter for leadership, they were floundering. I mean, they're just waiting to see him in Galilee. And I have some sympathy. You know, when I read scripture, I like to think, you know, how would I be? We need to apply the word of God to our lives all the time. And I'm thinking, you know, I've got some sympathy for these perplexed disciples waiting in Galilee. The reality for me is I find waiting difficult. 
You know, if I was to invite you to my place in Canada, you're welcome, of course, but if I was to invite you at a specific time, I'm the kind of guy, if you haven't shown up at five o'clock, I keep going to the window and the door to check where you are. In fact, when I'm out shopping with Jane, we only have one cell phone down here. We're saving money by roaming charge only on one. So I'm very frustrated because when I arranged to meet Jane at the mall, just outside Sears at one o'clock, she's not there. And I have to wait. And I, I want to call her. I grab that phone. Because, where is she? Well, it's only five past one when she shows up and say, where have you been? <laughs> well, you know where she's been, but anyway, I'm quick to grab that phone if she's just a few minutes late. I don't know why, but I find it hard to wait. Now the disciples, so I understand this, for the disciples that was the question they couldn't answer, what to do next. They, they just, they were perplexed, they were uncertain, so what did they do? Well, they did what many of us do. You know, if you're waiting, if you're uncertain, if you're worried about what the future holds, you often think, well, I'll just distract myself. I'll go back to doing something that I do well and quite enjoy. It's, it's a good thing when you're confused and puzzled to distract yourself a little bit. In my case, what I'm doing, because I grew up in England where we had these lovely gardens, you know, lots of rain, and, and, and I have an English garden in Canada, still trying to keep it up, so I potter in my garden. Or if it's winter and there's ice around, I play with my computer. That's, that's how I distract myself. And of course, for older Christians, sometimes what they do is just loaf around. I mean, they don't do anything. They just kind of keep occupied by shuffling papers and stuff, you know. We do that. In fact, look at this cartoon. There's an old chap who said, you know, he said to his wife, I brought, broke down and bought myself a new pair of shoes. I figure this is probably the last pair I'll ever buy. That's what happens when you get old. You think, I wonder if I'll buy another car. You know, last one. Well, she said, what kind are they? And he said, well, the loafers. Oh, she said, so appropriate. <laughs> because this guy was alone. He just loafed around, you know. By the way, if you are an older Christian, and you're kind of just loafing around, remember, Psalm ninety-two, fourteen. it's a wonderful little verse. I read it often. They will still bear fruit in old age. They'll stay fresh and green. I'm older than you think. And uh, I'm hopefully still fresh and green. We cannot loaf around while we're waiting. I'm going to talk about what to do while you're waiting for the Lord to come next Sunday morning, so I won't preempt the. It's a good talk, so I don't want to get into it today. Be there, though. But you see, what did they do? Peter's. Going back to what he knew, he said, I'm going fishing. I mean, that had been his life when he left everything to follow Jesus. So easy to slip back into it. And the others were glad to have a suggestion and said, hey, we'll come with you. Uh, I mean, <laughs> they were more than saying, well, it's better than hanging around. We'll do it. Now see what happens. The provision the Lord makes. You see, what happened next is that miraculous catch of fish... Uh, and, and it's the first of two brilliant moves both of which show the pastoral heart of our Lord Jesus the second was of course that breakfast fire on the beach and we're going to talk about that in a few minutes 
but both the miraculous catch of fish and the breakfast on the beach were important steps to get the disciples ready to respond to the new commission you've got to remember these two events they were provided by the Lord they weren't just arbitrary he was preparing them for the work of evangelism and church planting that he was going to enable them to do well how did they prepare them well you see they, they would remember when they're out there fishing the Lord appears that there had been a miraculous catch of fish before I mean when the Lord called them that's what happened and now they're in a boat again and Jesus is calling them and there's a huge catch of fish it's like a rerun of what happened before you go back to Luke 5 and, and that huge catch of fish is, is a rerun of that and what would it do? it would bring memories flooding back we've been there there's sort of deja vu feeling they think of that earlier time when they were first called and they left everything to follow him and that's what Jesus wanted them to do remember when you left everything to follow me? it's so important you know you need to look back Look, if you're a Christian, look back to the day of your salvation. If you're married, look back to your wedding anniversary, uh, wedding day on your anniversary. That fosters love. I was asking um, Jonathan, how long have you been married? I thought it was about six months. Three years. Don't you forget on your anniversary. Look back to that. You see, looking back to these moments affects our emotions. Uh, so that's what the Lord was after by the way there's a little lesson I can't resist uh, sneaking in here this whole miraculous catch of fish of course teaches us a key principle of Christian service without me you can do nothing always remember that that's the kind of bottom line that's the kind of sideline sermon but you see they would remember that and Peter's response you think of Peter's response the first time there was a miraculous catch of fish in Luke 5 8 um, Peter's response was to bow before the Lord and say depart from me I'm a sinful man go away Lord now this time in John 21 when John probably the disciple that Jesus loved it said said it is the Lord what happens Peter true to his old form again he was always a first responder he immediately grabs his coat and jumps into the water you think about the contrast he dived in here and last time he just wanted to move the Lord to move away from him this tells you already that Peter's longing for restoration he wants to get back to the Lord he's desperate to be close to the Lord again he leaps in the water and of course you remember this in your own life Jesus always responds to any desire on our part to come back to him if your love's growing cold if you're getting away from the Lord a little bit remember he waits remember the great story in the New Testament I think central to showing us what God's like is a prodigal son classic illustration son away God's waiting the father's waiting he's looking every day and running to meet him that's the longing of the Lord and, and it's just a wonderful little moment to show us what Peter wanted by the way notice 
I love these accounts of the resurrection because it's quite clear as you read the chapter it's an eyewitness account don't ever doubt the resurrection there's such wonderful detail John notes that Peter removed his coat and records in verse 11 there were 153 fish caught 153 now I thought about that I thought, you know that's detail every fisherman I've ever asked is more than ready to tell you exactly what he's caught you see a guy fishing you say he caught anything he said I got four wow that, that's a detail that, that just makes the story so authentic fishermen are like that and by the way it says the net was full of large fish I love this stuff. I mean, the Lord's provision is like that. There's no tiddle of fish when the Lord blesses us. 153 large fish. And of course, verse 12 then shows us this great example of the Lord's provision. I think one of the great invitations of John's Gospel, Jesus says, come and have breakfast. What a good call for weary fishermen. And, and, and you know as I read the Bible about the Lord Jesus it's absolutely staggering to me that the creator the Lord of heaven and earth I mean the Lord of lords the holy son of God the one who's co-equal with the father that he would come and prepare and offer such a kind hospitable invitation I mean he's calling him let's get refreshed physically there's warm bread there's fresh cooked fish there's a welcoming fire we can sit around and talk does it sound good? Man, on the beach, beautiful breakfast. This is our Lord, you know, it's the Lord that said, You come to me if you're weary, you're heavy laden, He refreshes us. And I, I, I love this, you know, the Lord already had fish on the fire. Now, of course, He's Lord of the universe, every fish in the ocean is His, but notice what He says, verse 10. He said, Bring some of the fish you've got. Lord, you've got every fish in the ocean, you've already got fish there. What are you saying? But listen, the Lord loves to work through and with us. I mean, this was a great beach party. They were all there. They knew it was the Lord. It felt wonderful, he said, but you bring what you've done. How gracious the Lord is, wanting us to bring what we have caught. And there they were. They were back together again. They were sharing fish, and they were talking about the future. It was so good. But you see, nothing the Lord does is arbitrary. Like everything the Lord does, the catch of fish, the fire... They had special purposes because God's a purposeful God. God's a planning God. And you've, you've got to go back. You know the setting of Peter's three denials of the Lord it was when he was warming himself by the fire. Uh, it's stated a couple of times in John 18, emphasized in Luke 25, it was by the fire. Now it's very important because fires create a special atmosphere. You know, that crackle of burning wood, that smell of the smoke all that what would it do bring back memories to Peter the fire just like the huge catch of fish it was a memory jogger and smells a very powerful memory jogger there have been some scientific studies of this they bring memories back why is it that most women who are romantically inclined stick with the same perfume Vivian used to wear Chanel number no. five. I've not figured out James yet, but but we'll get it. But but 
Why? Because those smells, they bring the memories back. That distinctive smell triggers memories. For me, it's a bit more prosaic. You know, every time I, every time I make, I make sometimes a, a cup of hot chocolate, it's supposed to help me sleep, and every time I smell that stuff, my mind goes instantly back to my mother, donkeys years ago, and my brother. My brother and I used to go to bed and mum brought hot cocoa. And I think about it, why do I suddenly start thinking about my older brother? Because of the smell. Powerful stuff. And so Jesus does it. He creates another fire. He's helping take Peter back to that awful time when he so firmly denied the Lord three times. And of course Peter would sit there feeling ashamed of what he did and seeing again the look on Christ's face when Christ just faced him after his denial. And it all comes back to Peter. Uh, and it is incredible. And we've got to look into this. I mean, think about this. Why would that brave and outspoken Peter fail so badly around the first fire? I want to, I've been reading the Gospels trying to understand what happened. You know, I can understand how I let the Lord down. I'm a weak, sinful man. But man, Peter, why would Peter of all people? And I started thinking about, you know, I think it started with pride. It's often true that pride comes before a fall, as the old saying is, because, you see, Peter had said, you think he said, look, even if the others forsake you, I'm ready to go to prison and death for you. See, pride always likes to compare itself with others. If you're proud, you, you think, I'm a lot better than the other people. Peter said, look, <laughs> even though the others forsake you, you count on me, you see. And that's the way he often talked. We've got to be careful to watch out for misplaced self-confidence. Overconfidence in himself was often a problem for Peter. You know how ready he was to get out the sword in the garden and said, I'll do it, don't worry, I'll follow you, I can look after this. All those phrases speak of pride in what we think we can do and they come so easily to our lips. Peter said, leave it with me, I can do it. And then there was another thing. It started with pride, but then there was prayerlessness. Remember when they were in a crisis, you were situation prior to the denial they were with Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane the Lord sweating great drops of blood he's praying in agony this is a dreadful moment and Jesus comes and finds Peter sleeping with the others and he particularly said to Peter couldn't you pray watch and pray and that's still the Lord's challenge to us if you aspire to follow him prayer not just in times of crisis scripture said without ceasing there's a folly in prayerlessness and Jesus said oh, couldn't you pray it's so important you know uh, the boulevard chapel where we're staying in the house at the moment yesterday had a day of prayer and fasting from 6 in the morning till 9 at night and people were coming and going and, and I've never for a long time spent several hours in prayer it was wonderful and I'm expecting to see tremendous blessing when they go on the beach to preach the gospel, preach the gospel tonight, because that's what they're praying for. So important. But there was a moment of prayerlessness for Peter. And then there was a final step. Oh, so important. Isolation from other believers. Remember the story, he followed to the distance, and he hung around with an unbelieving crowd at the fire. 
I mean, do you think if he'd stayed close with John and James and those faithful believing women like, like Mary Magdalene who stayed right by it and watched the trial and watched the crucifixion, do you think if he'd been with them he would have denied Christ? <laughs> of course we need to nurture relationships with other believers. How can we witness if we don't? But our core relationships are with fellow believers. And it's so important that we nurture our fellowship with believers, especially in times of difficulty and crisis. Scripture says very clearly, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together, Hebrews 10.25, and it's an important exhortation. You know, we need to be increasingly diligent to foster fellowship whenever possible. I'm so glad you have a meal together. That stuff you're talking about. Because we must never isolate ourselves from the warmth and protection that we receive from fellow believers in the local church. Missing the meetings is really tragic because of what we miss. And we've got to be so careful that pride and prayerlessness and isolation doesn't get us into where Peter was no it's, it's humility and prayer and fellowship that we need you see God had great things in mind for Peter but he got sidelined and he had to he had to renew and recommission him in order to put that failure behind him and the wonderful thing is this that God is always ready to reset a program for our lives Many of us have gone off track. I know a young woman in Canada who feels she can never serve the Lord now. She, she married an unbeliever. She was disobedient and she thinks it's over. I said, no, God has a plan B. God takes us from where we are, not where he wants us to be. And he takes us where he wants us to be. We need to ask him to forgive and renew us. And this is a great example of that. And so the Lord works because the Lord always has a plan B. And ever thoughtful, look at verse 15. He, it points out the Lord waited until they were physically warm. They were satisfied before he begins to deal with Peter's denial and cowardice. And you've got to remember, you think about it. The, de the devil must have been having a field day with Peter. I mean, the devil's helping Peter to feel empathetic. I might as well give up. I mean, I can never be a leader, a worthy follower of Christ. Man, I denied him. But we know what the Lord's like. He forgives. In fact, if you look at Luke 24 and 1 Corinthians 15, you'll know that Peter already met privately with the Lord. Peter's sin has already been forgiven. But this is important since Peter denied the Lord publicly it was important there be a public restoration. Peter needed to be publicly restored because everybody needed to know that he could again take up that call to be a leading apostle. And so the Lord restored Peter publicly and it provides us with a great example of good pastoral care. You know if you're into pastoral care if you're an elder or leader Remember, you can't just gloss over and ignore failure. And in fact, the Lord pushes Peter to take responsibility for what he'd done. But notice, the Lord not only forgave, but he doesn't continue to berate and condemn and badger Peter. 
the Lord neither blames nor overlooks and that's so important in pastoral care and as parents too as a parent you shouldn't be blaming 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 uh, nor overlooking overlooking you're loving and restoring and it's so important and, and there's no attempt by the Lord to say well let's just forget it my friend I mean let's pretend it never happened you can't do that you see what the Lord does go right to the real issue what he needs to deal with and this is the central point this morning is our relationship with him the question the Lord wants to get to is look I've forgiven this but do you really love me and that's always a key question if you want to know what's a central question about the Christian faith is how much you love the Lord that's what it is the, the most important thing in our relationship is, is our love for the Lord and, and, and that's where he, the Lord goes now remember three times Peter had denied the Lord so three times he repeats the question do you love me and he uses his own name Simon son of John for the very last time and he puts pressure on Peter the Lord's like a skilled surgeon probing with that sharp scalpel three times he poked with a quee key question to get people Peter to think about what have you done and he asks him verse 15 he said you love me more than these a little bit mysterious what he meant but I know I'm sure I know what he meant he said look do you love me more than the others do because you once boasted that your love would outlast and outlove theirs and I think it's a reference to Peter's own comparison of himself to the others Matthew 26 he boasted in false confidence my love won't fail the others might but I won't but this time when the Lord asks him he avoids making any comparison between himself and the others and he simply affirmed his love and we know from verse 17 that when the Lord asked him three times it hurt Peter but you see that's what a probing scalpel does it hurts in order to heal the Lord probed and pushed because it's true you know when you let the Lord down and this is a very important principle Hebrews 12 6 reminds us the Lord sometimes chastises us for our good doesn't overlook things the Lord disciplines who? the Lord disciplines the one he loves if you feel <coughs> a little bit disciplined by the Lord thank him that he loves you you see denial of failure or overlooking unfaithfulness it's never the solution to healing a relationship all that blame shifting that started in the garden of Eden has to be abandoned I love that little humorous line you know about the garden of Eden that Adam blamed Eve and Eve blamed the snake and the snake didn't have a leg to stand on <laughs> but that's just the way you are the fact is they pass the blame to others can't do that healing requires facing acknowledging and regretting our past failure the Bible calls it repentance and if you're a believer that has to be combined with an honest expression of your love You see, like Peter, we can rely on the fact that the Lord knows our hearts. I think that's a wonderful thing. You don't need to play games with the Lord. You don't need to hide things from him. There's lots of stuff about me I wouldn't want you to know. You'd probably never ask me to preach again if you knew everything. But the Lord knows our hearts. He forgives, but he knows. 
that, that makes it easier to kneel down before him without pretense and repent you don't have to tell stories but what he wants is that we get to express our love to him that's why we worship that's why the breaking of bread was so important this morning that first service is crucial to our spiritual life and development because it's a place where we can say together I love you Lord and I lift my voice to worship you uh, you see we can say that from the heart and that delights the Lord because the Lord wants our undivided love you know sometimes I lose, use peanuts and Lucy to make a point and I like Lucy's comment here to Peppermint Patty she said the secret of love is removal of the competition that's certainly true if you've got a wife that's it right no competition because the one thing love requires is a personal focus and response you can't say I love the Lord but hey there's all this other stuff because the Lord wants and we've got to get to this last point thank you for giving me so much time the Lord wants a personal response I want you to really think about this now because the, the Lord of the universe the creator of everything the Lord who has everything is missing one thing what is it? What is it that a sovereign creator doesn't have? Possibly your heart, because that's yours to control. Unbelievable, but true. The Bible says we have a free will. We can withhold our love from the Lord. See, the Lord doesn't want robots. He could have made us any which way, but he gave us free will. He didn't want people who lack the freedom to give and withhold love. That baby's being well nurtured by a robot, but there's not much love in it. And we could do lots of stuff serving the Lord, but unless there's love, it's really not what God wants. So this is always the one question the Lord who knows our heart, wants us to answer, being honest with ourselves, do you love me? And it was in response to Peter's affirmation of love that he finally receives that important commission. You can go now and you can be a shepherd of God's flock. You can feed my sheep and my lambs. Oh, yes. Peter was called from catching fish to follow Jesus. And now he's told you can go and catch people. I love this little comment of uh, my mentor in the faith was a famous evangelical F.F. F. Bruce who's now with the Lord grew up in England in the same assembly and he said in his commentary on John I just reread it now to the evangelist hook there was added the pastor's crook so Peter in his dual role followed the Lord by hook and by crook I like that hook and by. He, he got this additional commission this additional role you see the job of feeding and nurturing other believers especially young Christians it's a ministry you can all get involved in if you're an older Christian don't think ah oh, the elders should be doing more to look after the younger ones all of us need to help mentor those who are young in the faith and if you've got grandchildren that's a ministry to and, and as they grow older to help them in their devotional lives help them to grow in their affection for Christ to share with them the joy that you have in your relationship with God it's a, such an important job and I want you to notice verse 21 as Peter talked with the Lord he still had a bit of a problem as Peter received this commission 
he heard someone walking by them and he turned and saw John and he says oh Lord what about him oh, Peter's tendency to compare himself with others reappearing he can't get away from it and Jesus rebuked him he challenges Peter directly he says what's that to you you follow me man that's so important you know I preach sometimes and I go to the back and an elder said oh I wish brother so and so had been here to hear that Lady said, you know, I wish my Aunt Mary had been in. She needed to hear that. I said, did you need it? I mean, you, don't you be thinking, man, I wish somebody else had heard that sermon. The Lord reminds us our primary concern is to make sure we follow ourselves and you shouldn't be thinking about somebody else's status of ministry when the Lord's speaking. Scripture is very clear about this. Galatians 6, for each should test their own actions, then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to somebody else. There's only one standard, the Lord. And Peter, he'd seen the results of taking his eyes off Jesus. Remember when he began to sink, when he tried to walk to Christ on the water? distracted by the waves the bottom line is it's you look to Jesus keep your eyes on Jesus see God has a different ministry for each of us and your job is to use your gifts to do what the Lord called you to do how God works in the lives of others that's between them and the Lord of course you shouldn't ignore them you have to be concerned with their spiritual progress but let me, let me conclude with five minutes. Must do it. Let's say some concluding comments. Let's go back to basics. The first and great commandment. The Lord said it's to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And that's the bottom line. That's what the message is about. Now, I was a scientist in my professional life, as you know, and I'm still concerned about measuring things. I love measuring stuff. That's what scientists do. And I thought, well, how how can I assess the reality and depth of my love for God? How can I measure it? And, And that turns out, Scripture has very clear guidelines, and I want to finish with them, so you've got something practical. There are three ways to assess your love for the Lord. Our Savior taught that to love God, your life has to center around Him. So, you need to question yourself. Just ask yourself basic questions. I mean, to what extent am I actively pursuing a deeper relationship with God? I don't mean wishing you had one, but actively pursuing it. I mean, how much of your life is actually built around humble obedience to God's word and will? Every day, how much of that day is like that? Those are the questions. Because a person who loves God... He should be learning for God's presence in every aspect of his life. Remember what David said, Psalm 52, As a deer pants for the streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O Lord. It's a, a, de- a desire that, that should show every day. And a way of checking it is to check how much time you actually spend on the disciplines that grow your relationship with the Lord. You know what they are, daily prayer. I just don't mean a routine prayer that you say every morning with your wife, same thing. But I mean, really, intercessory prayer and personal worship. Some 
people only worship when they show up Sunday morning but you see it's the regular meditation on scripture not just reading it that makes a difference you see there's, there's two ways you can live I mean Galatians 1 tells you either a God pleaser or a man pleaser Scripture clear, 1 John 4.18 Perfect love casts out fear so, so a third measure of our love for God is found really in our readiness to share what Christ means to us freely without fear to be a God pleaser so that's the question am I, am I a, somebody who's afraid of people to what, this is a really good test to what extent you let your fear of harming your social relationships or your popularity stop you from sharing your testimony to God's love and what Christ means to you now we're not persecuted in North America like so many are in the world don't forget there's thousands being killed for the sake of the gospel but we are persecuted you had a colleague I'll move away from the mic I shouldn't in case you're recording I guess but I had a colleague I told him about my faith when I was retiring I was going to speak about God's word and for the next three weeks famous professor every time he walked past me <coughs> he walked past me like this I mean am I persecuted? well it wasn't very nice but it was hardly persecution this is the question you see Peter like Thomas let me say this Thomas is another story I'm, I shouldn't get into that but, but he had his strengths and weaknesses but the great thing is you read the gospels is they all finish well and Peter the end of the story quickly is like his Lord he glorified God in his death it's, it's a wonderful thing you know Christ's death is described in John 12 as being for the glory of God and that's exactly how Peter's death is described and the wonderful thing is in the end Peter was able to do what he said he was ready to do in John 13 so he didn't just have to put up with a little social ostracized can't hardly say the word but being ostracized by your friends is hardly persecution you see, Peter's first call to the disciples on the bank of the Jordan was, follow me. And uh, for Peter, it meant following Jesus all the way to death by crucifixion. And I just pray this morning that God would use Peter's example to help renew your own commitment of love to the Lord. So, so you follow him fearlessly, because that's what the Lord wants from every one of us. And so that's it, folks. As we get to the noon hour, just ask yourself, am I still actively pursuing a deeper relationship with God? How much time do I spend on daily prayer, personal worship, meditation on Scripture? And bottom line is, do I let fear of harming my social relationships or popularity stop me from sharing my testimony? I've done it. It's a challenge. But... This is it. I think we've got a minute. Let's just sing the last verse and chorus of 495. And it says, Turn your eyes on Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. And it starts with, uh, we'll just sing verse 3 and the chorus. That's what we'll do.
verse 3, the last verse, and of course, 495, remaining seated, just as our last call to turn your eyes upon Jesus. Thank you. So Lord, help us to do it. Like Peter we fail, but you restore and we ask in the precious name of the Lord Jesus that as we look to you and feel your grace, that the fear of men and earthly things will fall away in the light of your glory and grace. And we pray this for our blessing and your pleasure in your precious name, Lord Jesus. Amen. Wednesday, don't forget, we've got the ascension. Resurrected Lord restores. The ascended Lord represents. We'll talk about that Wednesday night. You can uh, begin to read the ascension stories in Acts if you want to be ready for it.